Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. Last night was the 2021 NBA draft, so of course I had to break all of the good draft stuff down with my Draft Deep Dives co-host, Tyler Metcalf. It might not be a Tuesday, but we've got draft stuff to talk about, tons of draft stuff to talk about. Tyler, how are you doing today? We did it. It's we done. did it. <laughs> Another successful draft cycle. Uh, I'm exhausted. This has drained me, but um, it was a really fun night. A lot, a lot of fascinating things went down. Um, a lot of head scratching things as well. So I, I'm excited to kind of go through them and talk with you about them tonight. So let's start off by just sort of quickly running through the lottery here, because there were a few very interesting choices in the lottery, some that I think we're both very happy with, some that I think we're a little confused by. But we can start out by the part that I don't think either of us was confused by, but both of us were happy about. Namely, the first three picks went pretty much as expected. Cade Cunningham to the Detroit Pistons, number one overall. Jalen Green to the Houston Rockets, number two overall. Evan Mobley to the Cleveland Cavaliers, number three overall. I personally had Jalen Suggs ahead of Jalen Green, but honestly, they're both excellent prospects. And this top three is going to be one of the most talented top threes we've seen in a draft class in a while. And all of them have incredible upside, and especially what we saw with the mock draft, we both very much thought that Evan Mobley was an excellent fit for Cleveland at number three, and he does end up falling to them at third. So really the first three in the lottery went kind of chalk, but I'm glad that they went chalk because those are three really great prospects. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that Detroit didn't overthink it because Cade, he, he is the best player in this draft. He doesn't have any flaws. People who keep citing his bad assist to turnover ratio need to look at more than just a box score because context was so important for him because that was a horrible Oklahoma uh, state team and their spacing was atrocious. He got doubled on every play, entire defense collapsed on every drive. So once he's put into actual NBA spacing, he's just going to look so much better. Um, I, I do believe that they were fielding calls for him because they'd be stupid not to. But I'm glad that they didn't settle for something just because they may have liked Green and Mobley as well. And I'm glad that they took the approach of we have to be so thoroughly overwhelmed by an offer to move off of it. Um, because I, I do think Kate is that type of prospect. Uh, Jalen Green going second seemed just as sure of a thing. I mean, I believe he even took the Houston Rockets owner's private jet to the draft. Um, so it would have been a little weird if they didn't pick him after that. And the Mobley fit for Cleveland just makes a ton of sense. I, I kind of feel bad for him going to Cleveland because I'm not sure what that team's plan necessarily is, but whether they re-sign Jared Allen, that'd be a really, really strong defensive uh, front court, but it also gives them the option where now they don't have to overpay Jared Allen just for the sake of having a legitimate rim protector on the roster. So we got our first sort of swerve of the draft at number four overall. Pretty much everybody expected that the Toronto Raptors would take one of the four guys, whichever the four guys fell to them among Cade, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, and Jalen Suggs. And instead they went with Scotty Barnes. And I think I ended up a little higher than you did on Barnes. I ended up having him seventh sort of in my evaluation. 
The thing with Barnes, though, is that it just seemed like such a sensible fit to have Jalen Suggs be the heir apparent to Kyle Lowry in Toronto. And, you know, instead they went with someone who is going to be a really solid defensive piece for them. And far be it from me to question the incredible developmental success of Toronto over the past few years. But Barnes at four ahead of Suggs was a bit of a head scratcher for me, honestly. I kind of hated it, honestly. So I I like Scotty Barnes as a player, but I'm. And I had Jalen Suggs at four versus Barnes at 12. So and there there is a significant gap in their talent for me. Um, I, I thought Jalen Suggs made a ton of sense, even if they re- ended up re-signing Lowry. I, I thought that they, that'd be a really good three-guard rotation um, for their, you know, starting and six-man. And I just struggle. I So the positives with Barnes is that he is – one of the rare legitimate one through five defenders. Um, I worry a bit about his off ball defense because he roamed a lot. I think a lot of that is system, but a lot of it is a young player making mistakes too. So I I do think that will improve their front court and wing defense between Barnes, OG Pascal. It'll probably be incredibly good. Um, I don't know how it fits offensively. I think that he is, some serious limitations on offense because with Van Van Vliet, if they bring Lowry back, those are going to be the guys controlling the offense and doing the playmaking. So how are they going to utilize Barnes? You can't just stick him in a corner because he's not a shooter. And if you do that, they just become so much easier to guard. So uh, I I love Barnes's defense. I love his motor. I love his basketball IQ. It's just a really weird fit and a pretty significant reach for me. So the flip side of Barnes going four to the Toronto Raptors is that Jalen Suggs fell to the Orlando Magic at the fifth overall pick, and this might end up being my favorite pick of the entire draft night. I mean, I had Suggs as the second best prospect in this class, and you know, even with Orlando picking up Cole Anthony last year and giving that extension to Markel Fultz, this team has been so desperate for a superstar since Dwight Howard left, and I mean, Jalen Suggs is other than Penny Hardaway, the best point guard that the Magic have ever had. And I don't think the odds are high of him ending up being better than Penny just because Penny was so ridiculous at his peak. But, I mean, that's the kind of point guard drought that we're talking about for the Orlando Magic. And the superstar drought isn't quite as long, but it has been nearly a decade since Dwight Howard was a member of the Orlando Magic. So given the superstar upside, I'm not as concerned about the sort of backcourt fit with Suggs. I think he can find a way to excel in pretty much any two-guard lineup with his size at 6'4 and his defensive prowess. I mean, it's going to be hard for me to find another pick that I loved as much as Jalen Suggs at five, and the Magic just have to be ecstatic that he fell to them. And over that this last decade, the Magic have always been that team that's been that one pick away from getting one of the top guys in the draft, whether it's games, you know, have going with Aaron Gordon or Mo Bamba or Mario Hazonia, they've always just been that next pick after the guys who have always seemed to hit in these drafts over the last decade, essentially. And I I'm just ecstatic that Jalen Suggs fell to them because he is exactly what they need. And I, I like the guards that they have from a potential standpoint, but none of them are guys that you really want running your offense. They're scorers or in Fultz's case, a lockdown defender and Suggs can play alongside 
any of them at any time because he can initiate the offense. He can play off ball. He can play really good defense. He's that legitimate franchise cornerstone and leader and winner that they have been so desperately lacking. And he's just such a smart and competitive and hardworking basketball player that I'm just ecstatic that he fell to them both for the organization and for him, because I, I just think that's a really just seamless fit for him to grow into and really build that team up. Up next, another sort of surprising pick, although I don't think as surprising as the Scotty Barnes at four pick. The Oklahoma City Thunder opted to take Josh Giddy out of the NBL at sixth overall. And with Giddy, he's a 6'8 primary playmaker type. I think he's a really interesting fit alongside Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I would have taken Jonathan Kaminga if I were the Thunder at this spot, but I can't fault the Giddy pick too much. He's been an astronomical riser up draft boards this past year and if he can sort of build his shot to be anything at all which I know you have concerns about and I certainly would echo those concerns but if he can build his shot into anything at all he's an exceptional live dribble passer with both hands and he's someone who can really play off Shea Gilgis Alexander exceptionally well I think especially if he can get to even slightly below average with his jump shot the way he dissects a defense is so unique and that's without having really any scoring threat so even if he can just get to league average with that jumper he it's a really interesting pick and it's adding a lot of basketball iq it's adding excellent playmaking uh massive jump in positional size um i mean shea gilgis alexander's like the smallest player in their starting lineup now and he's like six six it's a weird fit. I don't think it's going to be super smooth, but for a team that's not really that eager on winning right now, it's, I, I like it from the long-term standpoint because they're, they're taking this guy who apparently has an absolutely incredible work ethic, really high basketball IQ, really dynamic playmaker. And if they believe that they can help him improve that shot, then I, I think this pick is going to look really, really good five years from now. So the next two picks belong to the two teams that had two lottery picks in this draft. And the first of those, the Golden State Warriors took Jonathan Kaminga at seventh. I mean, given that I had him fifth, I think this is a pretty good fit for him. And also it'll be interesting to see how he develops sort of alongside the Warriors system as a guy who doesn't really have much of a jump shot, but I think he'll be much better at read and react kind of offensive stuff certainly than James Wiseman was his first year with the Warriors so I love that pick for them and then the Orlando Magic took Franz Wagner at eighth overall and for them to get Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner is I think such a home run for the Magic you know with Suggs you get the guy who has the superstar upside the franchise cornerstone type of player and with Franz Wagner you get a gap filler you get someone who's going to be a great secondary ball handler and playmaker you get someone who is going to be a defensive menace on the wing you know if Suggs takes a little bit of time to adjust to defense at the NBA level I certainly think that Wagner is going to be able to contribute if not his rookie year because pretty much all rookies are terrible on defense I mean Wagner is going to be I think a stellar defender in the NBA maybe as soon as his rookie year certainly by his second year in the league and he just fills so many gaps for you that taking him alongside Jalen Suggs I mean, 
spoiler alert, we haven't gotten to our winners and losers of draft night yet, but I think we both are very heavily in favor of what Orlando did on draft night with getting Suggs and Wagner. I would have preferred for Golden State to take Wagner instead of Kaminga based purely on fit and ability to immediately contribute. I think Kaminga is more of a long-term project, but if he does hit, if that shooting does come around, if the defensive consistency does improve and he's got some really smart players to learn from in those realms, um, then it'll help prolong Golden State's, you know, tenure and staying at staying at the top but i i do think it, it was a huge home run swing for them i like it don't love it the wagner pick is absolutely incredible for orlando uh just the amount of basketball iq that orlando added in this draft is exponential and he's just that great two-way connector on both ends of the floor where He's Wagner is switchable on the perimeter. He's a really smart off-ball defender. He has some of the best perimeter footwork in this class. Offensively, he's a really good passer, good ball mover, good slasher. Uh, if the off-ball shooting improves even a little bit, it's he's he's going to be a, a tremendous steal. And thinking about def- the like a defensive lineup of Fultz, Suggs, Isaac, and Wagner, and whoever you want to say Wendell Carter at center. That's a really, really tough team to score on. So I, I thought the the Magic did just such an awesome job um, with both their picks. Speaking of tough to score on, the number nine pick for the Sacramento Kings, they took Davion Mitchell, which was weird because they have De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halberton, but... I'm not too upset by the pick, honestly. I mean, I had Mitchell at 10, and I think that he is, you know, his nickname is Off Night, and he's maybe the one of the best, certainly, if not the best perimeter guard defenders in this class. And the Kings were so hideous on the defensive end last year that it's hard to be upset about any defensive addition. I also think that while Mitchell might not be a 45% three-point shooter in the NBA, that he's certainly closer to being a 40% three-point shooter like he was this past year than he was his first two seasons in college where he was, you know, barely scraping 30s. So I think that this will be a solid pick for the Kings, and I'm not too upset by it. It's not like, I don't know, they went completely off the board for someone who I don't think is a first-round caliber prospect, but the fit is weird. And you know, best player available is a draft philosophy that I strongly agree with, which is part of why I'm not too upset by this. But, you know, the flip side of that is that if Davion Mitchell is going to contribute to your team, he has to be on the floor playing minutes for your team. And I assume the Buddy Heald trade at this point is inevitable, but even if they don't trade Buddy Heald, they have De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, DeLon Wright, and now Davion Mitchell, you know, all fighting for minutes in the backcourt. And if Mitchell were 6'5", that would be a bit different. Or if this was year three of Tyrese Halliburton and he'd put on 15 pounds of muscle as opposed to weighing like four ounces, then this would be a lot better, I think, in my mind. But I don't know. It's weird. And I've seen a lot of King's Twitter reactions absolutely hating the pick. And I'm definitely not there. I think that Mitchell is going to be a very solid NBA player. I don't know. I mean, Certainly, I would have much rather Moses Moody be the pick here for the Kings, but it's hard to get too mad at Mitchell. It's just a weird, weird fit. 
I completely agree on the Moody front of that. I, I thought it just made sense. They need wing help. He's an awesome wing. He defends, he shoots. What else do you want? Uh, when the pick was announced, I just kind of went, huh. Um, Cause I, I, I like the player. I do. So it's, it's hard to hate the pick when you like the player. Um, the, it's just like you said, it, it's a weird fit. They have now probably the fastest backcourt in the league. Um, you know, Davion proved that he can play off ball and with another lead guard like he did at Baylor and see incredible success. I think he I think the shooting improvement was legitimate. Um, I don't think he's gonna be a 45 percent three-point shooter but 37 and I think that'll be good enough and he immediately helps their perimeter defense so in a vacuum I get it fitting all those guards together and a rotation that makes sense is going to be really tricky especially if they don't move buddy it seems like they're going to move buddy at this point it seems like they were pretty close to that on draft night even but it just it fell through and the Lakers went a different direction but if the Kings don't end up moving buddy, then I think this looks a lot worse, but it's just a, it's just a weird pick. I, I like the player. Don't like the fit up next, a situation where I honestly like both the player and the fit quite a lot. The Memphis Grizzlies earlier in the week traded up to the number 10 overall pick traded with the New Orleans Pelicans. We will do a in-depth trade review a little bit later on in the podcast, so I won't spend too much time on the details of that trade, but the Grizzlies took Zaire Williams with the 10th pick, and I thought this was a really smart move by the Grizzlies because what they need alongside John Morant is that second star, and of the players left on the board at this point, I think that Zaire Williams had the best chance of being that second star, and it's not just that he's that second star, you know, they have John Morant as the you know point guard of the future, point guard of now. They have Jaron Jackson Jr. as the big man of the future slash big man of now. And with Williams, they take a superstar upside swing on a 6'8 wing who had, as we've talked about many times on this podcast, a really awful season personally and basketball-wise at Stanford, but had an exceptional high school career and, you know, was the seventh overall recruit out of high school for a reason. And unlike with say BJ Boston, who we will talk about much later on in the podcast, you know, there's still reason to believe in all of the positives that we saw from Williams's high school tape. So I really like this pick for Memphis and I wasn't as much of a fan of the trade overall, but I think they salvaged a lot of my sort of confusion about the trade with taking Williams here at 10th. The Grizzlies fans I've talked to are absolutely distraught over this pick and they hate it. Um, but if you read my draft guide or listened to us over the past few weeks, you know that like like Nick, I am also really high on Zaire Williams. And I, I really, really like this pick. Um, it's a massive, massive upside swing at a position that they desperately need major production and their small forward or their wing position they haven't gotten a whole lot out of they've gotten good role players and filled that area of need in a rotation but they don't have that star to take them to the next level and if Zaire Williams hits he's the biggest and in my mind the best home run swing at that point in the draft and if he hits he 
absolutely takes them from a good team to a great team. And at worst, I think he's an excellent defender. I love his footwork, his ability to get through screens, uh, off ball consistency is a little iffy, but he's a teenager and it's like that with all teenagers. And I think there's legitimate scoring upside. Uh, he needs to get stronger and really tighten up his core because he was off balance in a lot of his shots because of that. But he didn't have access to a weight room all season. Stanford didn't have weight room access. They had to commute an hour for every home game. He had a fluke bike accident injury that made him lug around a 10 pound knee brace for the first half of the season. And then he missed three weeks in the middle of the season because of COVID protocols and for attending funerals. So I kind of chalk up his freshman season as a complete lost cause essentially because of how bad the situation was. And he still showed me a lot of flashes that I think absolutely warrant being a top 10 pick. Up next at number 11, the Charlotte Hornets, and they went with James Booknight out of UConn. I think this is a solid pick for them. I mean, with Booknight, you're really banking on the sort of offensive upside and the off-ball movement, and hard to get a better player to play alongside than LaMelo Ball if you're really good at moving off the ball because LaMelo will find you, and there are going to be a lot of LaMelo Booknight alley-oops that are going to be really fun. There are also going to be a lot more of LaMelo kicking to Booknight wide open on the wing because he just ran his guy into a screen. I think this is a really solid pick for the Hornets. My my one wish for Booknight was to land on a team that had that legitimate point guard, and I if I would have loved him in OKC. I would have loved him in Golden State. I absolutely love him with Charlotte. Uh, in, in the short term, I don't think he improves them a whole lot, but big picture thinking, he gives them that more consistent scoring from the two guard spot, best off ball mover in the class. The the way that Lamelo will be able to find him on cuts and as he runs off screens is going to be really special. Their transition game should be fun. So I, I really like the pairing for that. And I don't think book Knight's necessarily a good defender, but he's better than ball and will be able to help cover up in some aspects on that under the floor as well. So overall, just long-term big picture. Look, I, I really, really like that fit for the Hornets and for book Knight. A little bit more of a surprising pick up next. The one way to put it. Yeah. The San Antonio Spurs with the number 12 overall pick, Put it this way, when Toronto made the surprising choice of Scotty Barnes at number four overall, my sort of tagline was, well, far be it for me to question their developmental system. And with the Spurs at 12, I mean, far be it for me to criticize the Spurs draft strategy and prospect development, but they went with Alabama guard Josh Primo at 12th overall. And I know you were a little higher on him than I was, but I did not have Primo as a first round grade in this draft. So this is a little bit awkward for the Spurs taking him at 12th. But hey, I mean, clearly they saw something that nobody else did. And we'll talk about this later. But really, given that Primo was the pick here at 12, it is shocking to me that they didn't make a trade with the Knicks, given that the Knicks traded both 19 and 21, I could pretty much guarantee that Primo would have been available with 19, and yet they picked him 12th overall. So, hey, who knows? I'll probably look really stupid for this in five years where Josh Primo is an all-star in San Antonio, but really did not like this pick. I'm torn because, so, I mean, when the pick was announced, I let out an audible just 
you know what the hell because i like the player but at, it's such a drastic reach and i i did have a first round grade on primo but that was with the idea of him going in the end of the first to a contender and in a situation where he's afforded the opportunity to sit on the bench and develop for a year or two and then really come out guns blazing for a lottery team to take him and him still be in a situation where I think he'll likely sit for a full year. It it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I love Primo's off ball shooting. I think he's a really good shooter. I think he's a really good on ball defender, but he had zero on ball equity this last season at Alabama. And if he would have gone back to Alabama and showed more of that, more of that on ball creation, it wouldn't surprise me or surprise me for him to go at a similar spot in next year's draft. But this is just such a reach. And I kind of assume that we're going to see a similar situation that we saw with Keldon Johnson, where he essentially didn't play at all his rookie year and then got major minutes. So it's, it's a reach, but if, if the Spurs really believe that he does have more on ball equity in his game and are just going to be patient and develop him for, or let him learn and practice for a year and then bring him back out. It'll be interesting. And, you know, it'll be one of those picks that we can't really judge for a couple of years, but they have such a log jam in the, in their backcourt now that I'm, I'm not really sure what direction or long-term view they have for their team. And up next, the San Antonio Spurs at 12 took Josh Primo, who is the youngest player in this draft class. And the Indiana Pacers selected someone who is five and a half years older than him in Chris Duarte out of Oregon. And this is hard for me because I was a fan of Duarte. I thought he would be a really helpful contributor to mm-hmm. a team in the back end of the first round, a playoff team. And instead he ends up going in the lottery at 13 with a certain Moses Moody who is five years younger still on the board so this is similar I guess to the Mitchell at nine idea in that I like the player but don't like the fit the difference here though is that I had Mitchell as around a top 10 player and he just went to a team where there isn't much of a fit with Duarte there's a bit more of a fit but I mean taking him at 13 with Moody still on the board is very strange to me but hey rick carlisle is certainly gonna like him coming in as a guy who isn't really a rookie even though he's technically an nba rookie so who knows we'll see but i was not too big of a fan of the pick even though i like duarte as a prospect yeah i'm on the same page as you i kind of hated the pick honestly um and and it's more so for team context because i duarte is a good defender he's always really locked in really smart competitive good shooter all of that stuff, he's getting AARP deals already. Um, but his, I just, he doesn't do anything to take this Pacers team from average to good. Um, I just see them prolonging their existence on the treadmill of mediocrity. And if Duarte would have gone a pick later to the Warriors, I really like that fit for him. If he would have even gone a little earlier to like the Hornets, I I don't mind that fit either, but it just, he doesn't have that room for growth that I think the Pacers really need. And I just didn't understand their thinking. Um, 
Carlisle is notorious for hating rookies and never playing them. Uh, so hopefully they just don't tell him that Duarte's a rookie. And they're just, just tell like, him he's oh, 24. No. Don't tell him he's a rookie. Just tell him yeah, he's 24. Exactly. And because if, if he uses his same approach where he just sits rookies for a couple of years, this guy's going to be retiring before he hits his second contract. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> I mean, not entirely wrong, though. We'll have to hope that Carlisle doesn't bury him. I mean, certainly he has a fit in that rotation. It's just, you know, I think they mm-hmm. were better ones. And speaking of, Absolutely. I think there were better ones. Let's now go to the last lottery pick, once again, belonging to the Golden State Warriors. And they took Moses Moody at 14. And I had Moody at six on my board. I would have been happy for the Warriors if they got him at seven. And instead, they managed to come out of this draft with both Kuminga and Moses Moody. And with Kuminga, he's a bit of a longer-term project for a team that has made it abundantly clear many, many times that they are in win-now mode, win-now mode, win-now mode. But Moody fits in right away as a 3-and-D type who, if he develops his handle a little bit, he could even have a lot higher potential upside, you know, maybe even all-star potential upside on the very outside. But even if he doesn't live up to that, just his 3-and-D ability, getting him at 14th overall was an absolute steal for the Golden State Warriors, who had one of the best draft nights, certainly, of any team out there. I, I thought this was the perfect pick, and going into the night, I really wanted them to come away with like a, a, some sort of combination of Wagner, Moody, Duarte, Trey Murphy, and I, I really like their haul, and I think Moody will be a little more of a project um, than I want to admit, because I think it'll take him a little bit of time to adjust to the NBA speed and athleticism because he's not the most explosive athlete, but he's such an intelligent player on both ends of the floor that I think he fits in really nicely. And he ha- he has a little bit of playmaking juice as a third guy in a lineup. Um, he's I, I think he's going to be an excellent shooter, excellent team defender. And come playoff time, I think he's really going to be able to get up to speed and contribute at a legitimate level at a level that maybe Kuminga can't necessarily in his rookie year. Um, but I think early returns with Moody may be a little rough and there will be a learning curve, but I think come next May or April, I, I think he's going to be an important piece to the Warriors rotation. And if he's not, then he, he may even be part of a really big, meaningful trade in which they swing for more of a veteran. So now let's move out of the lottery and talk about some of the highlights from the rest of the first round. We won't quite go through every single pick in detail like we did with the lottery, but there were some fascinating picks in the rest of the first round. And first of all, let's just start by saying that it was wonderful and also incredibly sad that the NBA did the tribute that they did to Terrence Clark, former Kentucky player who tragically passed away in a car crash at 19 shortly before the draft. They had a really beautiful moment with his family in between the lottery and the rest of the first round. And, you know, it was, it was a really moving and special thing that the NBA did for someone who we lost far too soon. And like with the Isaiah Austin situation, the NBA got this right. And especially over the last few years, it's easy to sort of say that the NBA isn't where people would want it to be at in terms of progressiveness and 
supporting its players. But with this and the Isaiah Austin situation, the NBA got it right. And there are certainly other sports leagues in this country that would not get that right in the way that the NBA did. So quick shout out to Terrence Clark. Not the happiest part of the evening, but it was very moving. And I'm glad that the NBA did that. I totally agree. And it was it was a night that was supposed to be the best night of this young kid's life and the start of the rest of his future. And, you know, we we're, he was robbed of it and his family was robbed of it. And it was just a, a heartbreaking situation when it happened. Um, I, but I, I, was, I was really glad that the NBA acknowledged him and did it in a really sweet way with his mom and his siblings. And I just got yeah, just really, really wish that that wouldn't wouldn't have even had to be necessary, obviously, but it, it was you know about the best way they could possibly do it. There's no good way to transition from that, but let's go <laughs> back to the rest of the first round. And at number fifteen, the Washington Wizards took Corey Kispert, and they made a trade that we will certainly get into, but. With that trade in mind or not, I think that Kispert is a really solid pick for this Wizards team. He's someone who is instantly one of the best shooters on the Wizards team, and he's really solid off the ball. He's got decent off-ball defensive potential. He's, I think, a much better athlete than people assume just based on the archetype of, honestly, white off-ball shooter, but he's one of the better vertical athletes in the draft too, surprisingly enough. And I think that there was a chance that Kispert could have slid much further given how the conversation had gone around him in recent weeks. But I think this is a really good fit for him in Washington at 15, especially given the news that Bradley Beal seems to be likely to stick around. I think he'll play great off Bradley Beal. I thought the Wizards did a really good job of actually adding pieces that make more sense in a team building aspect around Beal and Kispert gives them great size, elite shooting, uh, really just smart, competitive defender. He's not the most athletic defender, uh, but he he's really intelligent on that end of the floor and works hard and is typically in the right spot. So as a baseline for a defender, I don't think he's going to be the disaster that a lot of people wanted to peg him as. And I I think a lot of people just really discredited how big he is. He's a big dude and he's not your typical JJ Redick running just who just runs off screens constantly. He can do that. Uh, He can also pick and pop. He can attack closeouts. He's a really smart passer. So not, not the highest ceiling guy, but adds, adds a really strong offensive dynamic and, won't kill them defensively. So overall in the team building landscape, I, I, I like it for Washington. All right. Time for your favorite pick of the draft. <laughs> so the Oklahoma city thunder were scheduled to pick at 16th overall. They instead traded the pick to Houston for two future first round picks because the Oklahoma city thunder are going to continue to roll over their first round picks until Noah Westbrook is draft eligible. But Houston here at 16th overall ended up taking Alperin Shangun. And I mean, I had him as a lottery talent and you did not, but I think that 16 to Houston is a pretty reasonable spot for him. He and Christian Wood will be the worst defensive front court pretty much ever, but (laughs) offensively it's an excellent fit. And Houston 
picked up someone later who I think really makes this Shangun pick look a lot better for them, and we'll certainly get into that. But it's your favorite, Alperin Shangun, going in the first round. So I, I I don't like him as a player. I wouldn't have made that pick, but for value and how consensus viewed him, I, I don't mind it, uh, especially for Houston, who has no intention of winning anytime soon. So it, it's a home run swing. And if he hits, he could be a, an awesome player and we'll look back on it like an incredible trade-up. Um, I, I have severe reservations that that will ever happen because I don't think he's very good. Um I think he's a mess defensively I and mean, Houston's defense is going to be tragic next year, but if that offensive upside is really there, if it really hits, it, it could be a good long-term play. I, I think his production overseas gets overblown. I don't think he's going to be able to do that on anywhere near similar level in the NBA, but if I'm wrong, which is very, very, very possible. Uh, and I'd love to be wrong when I'm low on guys, but it's a great home run swing and kind of a really interesting offensive piece for uh, coach Silas to work with. So the New Orleans Pelicans took Trey Murphy at the 17th overall pick as the Pelican side of that trade that they made with Memphis. I mean, Murphy is a solid 3 and D player, so he'll certainly fit in alongside a New Orleans team that needs both of those things. But I don't want to sell you short here. The 18th pick is really the only pick that matters in this rest of the first round range. (laughs) Trey Mann, number 18 overall to the Oklahoma City Thunder, exactly where I picked him in the mock draft, not to toot my own horn, but to explicitly toot my own horn. (laughs) You thought very highly of Trey Mann, as we discussed throughout the process, and also in our last episode when talking about the updated Top 85. So I'm sure that you are very pleased with what the Thunder have done here, taking Trey Mann. I mean, he was the fifth-ranked guy on my board, so I, you know, any time out of the Top 8 or whatever, I, I think it is incredible value. And I, I love the swing by the Thunder. And the fit's a little weird with Giddy and SGA and Maladon, but I think the Giddy Man SGA lineups could be a lot of fun with Giddy's elite playmaking, man being the best space creator in this draft, an elite on ball shooter, uh, runs an elite two man game, and SGA is just one of the best young point guards in the league who has proven that he can play at an extremely high level in three guard lineups. So the Thunder have no intention of winning anytime soon because they have all these picks. So they want to keep tanking and get that number one pick in 2023 for Victor Winviana, the center from France, who's just a freak. And I think that's their long-term goal here. So if they can keep taking these big swings and if they hit on one, I, I think it could be awesome. I, I love that man will probably be given a lot of minutes next year and have a pretty legitimate role in the offense which will be great for his long-term development the new york knicks were scheduled to pick at 19 and 21 they instead traded both of those picks they traded 19 to the charlotte hornets in a trade that we will break down that makes pretty much no sense for the knicks honestly if you look at it but Certainly made a lot of sense for the Hornets because they got Kai Jones at 19th overall, and 
I was a fan of Kai Jones to the Hornets at 11th overall. I mean, he fills a huge need mm-hmm. for them as an athletic center with rim running and shooting potential as well. Crazy upside if he can figure enough out on the offensive end. And defensively, he does tend to get lost a lot, but he's also only been playing basketball for four years. And when he's in the right place defensively, he can be a special, special player. So once again, I am a huge fan of what the Hornets have done. I was a pretty big fan of the Book Knight pick at 11 for them, but I mean, Kai Jones to Charlotte at 19th overall is just an absolutely huge addition for them. I, I loved it. I, I would have had him high on the board for them at 11, like you said. Phil's an area of need with tremendous upside and if he hits it it could be a franchise changing draft for the hornets and i don't think he's necessarily going to make them a better team in his first year or even his second or third but big picture long-term thinking having that young core of lamello kai book night and it could be really really impressive a couple years from now and the Lamel book night and Kai transition offense is going to be one of the most fun in the league. And they, they were a league pass favorite coming into the night. I think they remain at that level after the draft. At 20th overall, the Atlanta Hawks selected Jalen Johnson, a prospect who we were both much lower on than consensus, but him at 20 is reasonable. I think, you know, again, I'm not going to speak too much on it because I wasn't the biggest fan of his game, but I think he's a solid fit for them at 20th. The other Knicks pick, the 21st pick that they traded, as mentioned earlier, Keon Johnson out of Tennessee. And I like this pick actually quite a bit for the Clippers. I think it would have been interesting for the Knicks, but I wasn't as sure about it. But For the Clippers, he's going to be playing a much more diminished role in the offense than he might have been playing if he ended up in New York. And he is just an absolutely ridiculous athlete who had really strong numbers as a cutter, and he's going to get a lot of opportunities to be a cutter playing for the Clippers. They were a heavy jump shooting focused team this past season, and that is Keon's greatest weakness. So he is certainly not going to be part of the three-point parade for the Los Angeles Clippers, but I thought it was a interesting pick for the Clippers, and they had to give up their 25 pick in a future second rounder, as we'll get into later. But I think this was a really interesting move and pretty solid fit for Keon Johnson. I expect him to play a very similar role to Terrence Mann. So it'll be interesting to see how that overlaps. I'm assuming Mann will get more minutes based on how he finished this last season. But I, I think the player, the archetype is pretty similar where they're where Keon's just this excellent athlete, has a great motor, good defender, uh, questionable shot. But if the Clippers can get similar returns as they've gotten out of man and even improve Keon's shot a little bit, uh, he he could be one of the bigger steals because a lot of people had him as a top 10 prospect. I, I personally didn't because I don't trust the the shot or the playmaking improving to a significant level. But as just an energy defender and off ball cutter. Uh, he's, he's an interesting long-term long-term prospect for them. At 22 overall, a pick that belonged to the Lakers in the morning. And 
belong to the Wizards in the afternoon and belong to Indiana at night. Isaiah Jackson ended up being the pick at 22. We will go over the trade later. I thought it was yet another confusing move in a confusing night of moves for Indiana, but the two picks after Isaiah Jackson both belong to the Houston Rockets, and they made one pick that I'm very happy about and one pick that I'm slightly less happy about. So Usman Garuba was the pick at 23. We sort of mentioned this tangentially during the Shangun section, but Garuba, as the best defender in this class, certainly the best big man defender in this class, is going to be huge for a Houston team that doesn't have much of a chance on the defensive end of the floor. But I think Garuba was a really solid pickup for them at 23rd. They took Josh Christopher at 24th overall, and I was not a fan of Christopher. As I've mentioned numerous times, I did not have him as a first-round prospect. With Houston, it's interesting because it'll really depend for me on what kind of role he has, because on the one hand, he's very similar to Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. as guys who have never met a shot that they don't like, but... If Christopher sort of ends up getting shunted into more of a three-point heavy role in Houston and is asked to mainly focus on his defense, I think that him at 24 to the Rockets is one of the picks in the first round where I'm least upset by it. Like, I think that Christopher at 24 to the Rockets is fine. There were other situations and other picks in the first round where I... Don't think I would have had that attitude if the pick ended up being Josh Christopher. And I think that's a really important note to make because Christopher is going to be a a very big long-term development type of prospect. And him going to a contender where there are expectat- unrealistic expectations for him to contribute in some realm to a rotation wouldn't have been good for him, I don't think. But putting him in purely a developmental system and role, I think, will be excellent for him in the long run. Uh, I, I think he will end up being more of a defender than a scorer. And I think once he's kind of surrounded guys like like Kevin Porter Jr. and Christian Wood and Jalen Green, who are these offensive dominant players, I, I think he will be willing to take more of that backseat role and play that off-ball scoring role on offense and then really hone in and be the, that defensive stopper on the perimeter on the other end. And Gruba immediately becomes the Rockets' best defender in the long run. I, I think he is a really good front-court pairing with Sangoon and will help really cover up for all of Sangoon's defensive woes while also being balanced out on the offensive end. So I, I, I kind of, while in a vacuum, I didn't necessarily love these last three players that the Rockets took. When you put them all together in a context, I think it makes a lot of sense, and I, I really like what they did. So at 25, this pick ended up going to the Knicks as part of that Keon Johnson trade, and they selected Quentin Grimes, which... It's surprising that Quinton Grimes went as high as 25. I think most people projected him to be a second-round prospect. But given the journey that he's gone on from top-rated high school recruit to transferring out of Kansas and 
trying to sort of work his way back into draft eligibility status in terms of, you know, teams wanting to pick him. For him to go 25th overall after this long saga that he's been on is just a really great story for him. I also thought it was really funny that apparently his half-brother is an NHL player, and they're the first brothers in NHL and NBA, which, I don't know, cool little fun fact. But really, for the most part, I'm just happy that Quentin Grimes ended up still being a first-round player after the journey that he's been on. I'm not sure I like the fit. Really, I'm not sure I'm happy with it from the Knicks' perspective, but I'm certainly very happy about it from Quentin Grimes' perspective. Yeah, it's great to see Grimes really improve from that horrific freshman year at Kansas and rediscover his love for basketball at Houston and consistently grow. And it's just an awesome story and a player that I really liked when he came out of high school. I thought it was a little bit of a reach, but when you look at their draft and flip if you just flip him and Miles McBride, a player who I liked more than Grimes, it I think the draft makes a lot more sense. But from just a standpoint of bolstering your backcourt depth with a good defender, hopefully a good shooter, and just kind of smart basketball player, you know, it, it's not shocking. I, I think there were better picks for them up before they made these trades, but I, I don't think they got worse by any means. The Denver Nuggets took Bones Highland at 26th overall, which I think is a solid pick for them, especially with Jamal Murray going to be out for an extended length of time with that ACL injury. And the Brooklyn Nets, I think, made a really interesting pick at 27th when they took Cam Thomas. And, you know, I had him literally at 30th because I couldn't bring myself to drop him (laughs) out of the first round, but... I don't know. It's really interesting to me that Brooklyn is the team that he ended up on because it's hard to think of many teams in the league where there would be fewer shots available. And it's hard to think of anything that anyone in the world loves doing more than Cam Thomas loves shooting the basketball the minute that it touches his hands. So I don't know. I mean, he certainly has talent. And if the Nets can rein in his shot selection and just have him be a bench spark plug, I think this could be a really solid fit for him but as I said in the mock draft I really thought he made a ton of sense for Philadelphia I would have loved for him to fall one slot further but Cam Thomas at 27 really interesting pick for the Nets I really loved it oddly enough because I I had massive gripes with Thomas as a player because he doesn't defend at all he never passes and you know, every time he touched the ball, he shot. And a lot of the times it went in, he was the best freshman scorer in the country. Um, But from a Nets perspective, I think, I I don't think there is a better situation for him to go into and take a backseat to guys because it's tough to find a situation with three better offensive weapons who, who you have to respect because they're three of the best in the league at doing it. So just as a spark plug off the bench, I think it's a cool and interesting option. Um, Long-term, he has three of the best offensive weapons in the history of the NBA to learn from. So I really like it from that standpoint. And it's it's just a really different pick and something I wasn't expecting them to do. But I, I really, really love it. Um, and for any gamblers out there, just never bet the under on a Nets game next year because it will not hit. 
I'm just imagining a Nets game where the under it, the over is like 150 and they still <laughs> hit it. I mean, it's possible. <laughs> they will. <laughs> so up next at 28, instead of taking Cam Thomas, the Sixers took Jaden Springer. And you were higher on Springer throughout most of the process than I was, but him at 28 as a really solid defensive guard who shot well from three-point range in extremely limited volume, I think that he will be a really solid pick for the Sixers here at 28. I thought it was a great developmental piece. Um, he's not going to be asked to do much next season, but he is a I, he, I, I thought he was one of the best guard defenders in the class, and if that shot really does come around, um, it'll, it'll be great for his development. I worry about, I don't think he was a very good space creator at all. I think he's a limited ball handler, uh, and I was pretty underwhelmed by his playmaking. But all he really needs um, in, in the short term is for that shot to really be a legitimate tool for him. And if it is combined with his defense, he, I, I think he has really promising upside. So I, I, I like the pick, the pick for the 76ers in terms of adding depth and long-term outlook. At 29th, once again, the Brooklyn Nets, after they traded Landry Shamit to the Phoenix Suns for Javon Carter and 29th overall, they selected Dayron Sharp, and he is someone who I think makes a lot of sense for this Nets team. He is an yeah. energy big man who's going to get a ton of rebounds for the Nets, but the skill that I thought was the most important with Sharp is that he's a really, really good passer for his position, and if he's just going to be getting rebounds and kicking it out to the Nets' big three, I mean, that alone for 15 minutes a night, I think, makes it more than worth it for the Nets to take a first-round flyer on Sharp here. And, you know, maybe there's sort of the philosophy that we have talked about many times of when is it really worth it to draft a center when you can find a replacement pretty easily on the open market. But given Sharp's passing talent and his exceptional offensive rebounding gifts, I think that it made a ton of sense for the Nets to use this first round pick on Sharp at 29. It was like they drafted a bigger Bruce Brown. Um, I, I, you know, like all big men coming into the draft, Sharp had been in his camp had been saying that he, he's going to be able to shoot it. I, I don't buy that because I haven't seen him do anything close to that in a game. Uh, but he, he's, a, he has an incredibly high motor, really good rebounder, really impressive passer for his position. So, you know, the the Nets needed center help and center depth, and they got a really physical high-motor one in De'Ron Sharp, and there had been rumors and kind of hintings at the Nets targeting him at the end of the first. So I I, I love that pick and that fit for, for them. And finally, to close out the first round, the Memphis Grizzlies had received the 40th overall pick in a previous trade, and they shipped that out along with some future picks for the Utah Jazz pick at 30th overall. And the Grizzlies went with Aldama out of Loyola, which was certainly a choice on their part. Aldama is similar to Zaire Williams in that it's really just a pure upside play because, you know, if he is the exceptionally talented offensive player that he showed in college, then this will be a steal for Memphis. But if he put up those numbers in college because he was playing against vastly inferior competition and he's not really an NBA player, well, you know, 
Memphis has other young players that I'm sure they're happy with, but this was very much a swing for the fences at 30th overall. I kind of hated it. Um, I, I thought there were so many better players available who could actually contrib- contribute to a rotation that and a team that has playoff ambitions and expectations next year. And I don't think Santi Aldama will do that. Uh, I, I had him slotted at 56 on my board and I really liked him as a long-term stash or two-way contract type guy and just kind of take a swing, see what you get. He's a really skilled big man, good team defender, um, really skinny, a little sloppy with the ball, but it's it, it just it, this one caught me off guard more than the primo pick, and I think it was it it was one of my least favorite picks of the entire draft, and I, it just didn't make sense for what I thought the Grizzlies were trying to do next season. All right, so we will cover all of the crazy draft night trades and winners and losers in part two of this podcast. But before we wrap up part one, just wanted to talk about some of our favorite second round picks, some of our draft night fallers who ended up going way lower than we thought they should have gone. And the place to start there is Jeremiah Robinson Earl to OKC at 32nd overall. And this is kind of about the range that he was in on most draft boards, you know, end of the first round, early second round. But I think that he will be a really solid fit for OKC as a guy who can fill a lot of roles for a team that needs a lot of roles to be filled. And interestingly, the Thunder actually gave up draft assets, wild as that is to say. They traded 34 and 36 to the Knicks for this 32nd overall pick. So, That was an interesting trade, certainly, but I don't mind it as much as I would have if the Thunder had gone with a prospect that I'm less of a fan of than Jeremiah. Just a really good infusion of basketball IQ and versatility into the Thunder's rotation. And I, I, you know, it's it's cliche to call Villanova players just smart NBA ready guys, but that's what Robinson Earl is, and he he needs to rediscover his shooting confidence and consistency but if he does that he's going to be a long-term nba player and i he's he can switch on the perimeter he's a good scorer good passer so i i really like the pick for the thunder and i think he'll end up adding a sense of stability to their front court and the next pick i wanted to highlight was actually the back end of that okc new york trade Miles McBride going to the Knicks at number 36 overall. And I love, love, love this pick. Love it. Love this pick for the Knicks. And honestly, I would have been really happy with their draft if they'd gone with McBride at 25 and Quentin Grimes at 36. But getting McBride at number 36 overall, I think, is an absolute steal for the Knicks. And I think he's going to be one of the few rookies ever who will earn playing time on a Tom Thibodeau team because he is that kind of a defender. And I, I had McBride at 15. I'm the draft guide, and I, I there's nothing I don't like or am hesitant about with this pick. I, I think this is an absolute steal. I think he's now the best point guard on the Knicks. He's an awesome, just legitimate perimeter defender, and 
good off-ball shooter. So when Julius Randle or RJ Barrett are attacking and kicking, they actually have a point guard or a reliable guard to kick out to and knock down an open three. I, I think he'll be able to create off the bounce a bit. Uh, just smart passer, not a big-time playmaker, but takes care of the ball. I, I think he's going to be a perfect fit on that roster, and I, I can't believe that he fell to 36. And we're going to go through a run of picks here because there was a very interesting stretch of the draft between 36 and 40. At 37, the Charlotte Hornets acquired the 37th overall pick in a trade, which we will get into, which was interesting, let's say. And with that 37th overall pick, they took a swing on JT Thor out of Auburn, who, again, I know is someone who you were very much higher on than early portion of the second round. The upside on Thor is stunning. And I know the shooting numbers weren't necessarily there, but the mechanics are really pretty. And I, I, I do think he ends up being an excellent shooter. And he's already an excellent defender. Good weak, weak side rim protector. Moves his feet excellent on the perimeter, um, especially for his size and length. We You don't typically see that of someone of his build who consistently gets in a low defensive stance and is able to quickly slide their feet and cut off drives on a regular basis. So I think the upside for Thor should have made him a first round lock. Uh, I was praying the Timberwolves would have done something to trade up and, and grab him because a Thor McDaniels pairing in a rotation would have been so much fun defensively. Um, but I, I, re- I just really like the pick for Charlotte. Up next at 38th overall, a pick that I'm certainly happier with than you are because I was much higher on him than you were. I had assumed it to the Chicago Bulls at 38th overall, and he's a Chicago kid who went to Illinois and is going home to Chicago, and that's just a cool story first and foremost. But second of all, I think he can fill a lot of roles for a Bulls team that is in desperate need of defensive help in the backcourt. And this is kind of the area where I would have taken Io and the Bulls needed a point guard. I, I really like the pick for him. Uh, he's just a good defender, awesome in transition, and can help facilitate with the other scoring guards they already have on that roster. So I, I think he'll be a, a really good stabilizing presence for that backcourt. Um, I, I don't think he has a ton of upside, but that's not what they really need. They needed that solid game manager at the point guard spot who can also defend. And that's kind of what IO is. So I, I, I really like the fit and thought it was pretty right around the range where he should have gone. Speaking of really good fit, which is not something that we could have said about their first round (laughs) pick, the Sacramento Kings took Nimish Keita out of Utah State at 39th overall. And I love this pick for the Kings because Keita is an exceptional defensive big man and the Kings were the worst defensive team in the history of the NBA last year. So, you know, desperate need and the Kings fill it with Keita. And as I've also learned over the past few hours being on Kings Twitter, Keita is the first player drafted out of Portugal and the Kings have now gained the fandom of the entire nation of Portugal. So that's fun, you know, in and of itself on top of the fact that I think he's a really excellent fit for the Kings. Yeah. So fun little story is a couple of months ago, I, I had multiple Portuguese NBA fans reaching out to me and on Twitter and imploring me that and really desperately wanting Keita to be an NBA talent and I thought he was and I'm really really happy that 
the Kings took him, especially this high too, because I, I thought he would have fallen a little bit because I, I, he, at times he kind of looks like a deer on ice with the way he moves, but he's one of the best shot blockers and rim protectors in this class. He, along with Mitchell, uh, really just immediately improves Sacramento's defense. And I, I think there's a little bit of shooting upside with him, not necessarily all the way out to three, but just a little from 15 to 18 feet. I, I think he'll be able to knock down those jumpers. So I, 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 lo- I love the pick for the Kings. And up next at 40th overall, that they received from the Memphis Grizzlies, the Utah Jazz took Jared Butler, and he isn't a 6-7 wing defender type, but other than that, I mean, this is a pretty much perfect pick for Utah. He's going to come in, he's going to defend, he's going to shoot, he's going to be able to play alongside other players, as he did with a certain Davion Mitchell at Baylor. I just love this pick for Utah. Same. I, I think this was probably the best value of the draft. And the fact that he fell to 40, just it, I I have to assume that teams are still skittish with his heart, even though he's been cleared. I'm guessing that a lot of teams are just turned off by that possibility and it's scary, but he got cleared. So I, I think this is an incredible steal uh, and just fits seamlessly into that rotation and if Mike Conley gets hurt again I don't think there's going to be a tremendous drop off by by moving Butler into the starting rotation uh would have liked to see Utah get maybe a more athletic wing defender but Butler it was for me by far the best player available here and the next pick I wanted to talk about the Brooklyn Nets at 44th overall ended up with Kessler Edwards and this is another just exceptional incredible I, I, w- I would have taken him in the first round if I were the Nets. And, uh, you know, when when they passed on him, I was like, oh, okay, well, Sh- Sharp and Cam are pretty good values there. And then he kept falling and falling. And somehow the Nets ended up with one of the best team defenders and off-ball shooters in this class. And just w- what what they were able to do was really, really awesome. And I, I think they're going to have such a fun team next year. And another team that I think is going to be quite a lot of fun next year, I think probably the biggest slider on draft night, with the possible exception of Jared Butler, Sharif Cooper fell all the way to the Atlanta Hawks at 48th overall. And Sharif Cooper is the backup point guard for Trey Young is just going to be really fun and makes a whole lot of sense. I am surprised that Cooper fell all the way out of the first round and certainly once he fell out of the first round him falling all the way to 48th was shocking as well but the fact that nobody took him in the first round was surprising and certainly Atlanta's got to be very happy that he fell all the way to 48th it was one of the stranger falls because I I I was a little lower on him but I had him in the mid-20s still and I, I I don't know if it was some agent manipulation or teams just really being turned off by and he's barely six feet and he can't shoot so those are two really bad things and he's an awful defender so i i can understand why he fell but i'm just kind of surprised that he did um the fit in atlanta i i don't love it but i i get it from just pure talent and it it provides them with a little more lineup continuity when trey goes to the bench because they are very similar players and their lack of defense, their size, their playmaking. Um, but 
you'll never be able to play those two together. Uh, Cooper essentially played off ball 0% of the time at Auburn. Uh, if you put them together, it will be the the worst defense in the league. So from a pure talent standpoint, I like the pick. I am just a little hesitant on what it'll actually mean for their rotation in the long run. Up next at number 51 overall, a pick that started the night as a New Orleans pick and ended the night as a Los Angeles Clippers pick. The Clippers ended up going with BJ Boston, who coming into this year would have been a lock for a top 10 pick in this class. And he fell after a really atrocious season at Kentucky. But for him to go to the Clippers at 51, I think is really great for both sides, honestly, because if he can figure out any of the stuff that wasn't there for him during his season at Kentucky, this is going to look like a ridiculous steal for the Clippers. And if it turns out that the player who he is at Kentucky is the player who he is and not the player who he was in high school, then, you know, wasting the 51st overall pick really isn't all that much of a big deal. But for him to go to the Clippers at 51st, I think, is a really solid fit and a really solid pickup. I like it for him because there's really going to be zero expectations for him there. Um, and he has two of the best wings in, in the league to sit behind and learn from. I, I would be pretty shocked if he saw really any minutes next season outside of blowouts or whatever. Um, but if, if, if he really does develop and improves his body and gets a more consistent shot, it, it could be one of the bigger steals from this draft because coming into the season he was pretty much a consensus top 10 guy and then just tumbled down boards but from just a pure potential and developmental standpoint it's kind of hard to not really like that pick for the Clippers and speaking of picks that everybody really liked because of course how could you not (laughs) our boy Scotty Lewis did get drafted which I'm incredibly happy about and furthermore he went to the Charlotte Hornets which they had a good draft night before that but this really solidifies them as the winners of the draft but you know in all seriousness I have been very high on Scotty Lewis for a while I was very high on him heading into his freshman season at Florida and his offensive game has certainly been a disappointment since then but I genuinely think that his defense is good enough that he's an NBA player just based on that and you know, him cutting and getting lobs from LaMelo Ball is going to be incredibly fun, along with everybody else on that roster cutting and getting lobs from LaMelo Ball. So, of course, there's no way to wrap up the first part of the draft podcast but to talk about Scotty Lewis. And I'm very happy that he ended up getting drafted, and I think that this is going to end up looking really good for the Hornets. I, I'm pretty sure that I just had a single tear roll down my cheek when <laughs> when they announced his name. I just our, our sweet prince did it. Um, I, I I love that he got drafted. Yeah, and he's so much fun. There's so much that's not good about his game, but his defense in athleticism is just a joy to watch. And he's an even better person and leader. So I it, it's hard to hate on the pick, and I I just hope nothing but good things for Scotty Lewis in the NBA. All right. Anything else you want to cover before we wrap up part one here? I don't think so. I think we got it. All righty. Well, he is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. And of course, if you want breakdowns of all of these prospects in further detail, definitely check out the 
hashtag basketball NBA draft section, which Tyler has done an exceptional job with all season long. We will be back tomorrow with part two, where we will go in depth on all of the crazy trades that happened on draft night, along with our biggest presumed winners and losers at this point in the process. But in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. Tomorrow's part two is going to be the last episode of season five of the NBA Deep Dives podcast. So definitely if you've enjoyed what we've done, especially with the draft focus that we've pivoted to for this season, please leave a rating and or a review to let us know or certainly feedback of any kind is much appreciated. You can feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email, nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.